Welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine, where we address the week's hottest legal topics. This week, the question is, did Kenneth Cheesebro just make the worst decision of his life? That's what we're going to talk about today, as well as a couple other odds and ends, including Trump's defamation case with E. Jean Carroll and possibly the Texas impeachment. So we're going to definitely talk about Kenneth Cheesebro and what's happening in the currently scheduled trial for him and Sidney Powell. But stay tuned with us as we discuss it. I'm Virginia Tarani. I'm with Tarani Law LLC, doing business in Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. because you never need a lawyer till you do. I'm joined today by Dr. John Vile from Middle Tennessee State University. He is the dean of the Honors College there and a long-standing professor of political science, as well as an expert in the Constitution, the amending process, and constitutional law. We are here today to talk about this crazy legal issue. Are you ready? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think you and I are actually really excited and ready for that. I don't actually have to pay a lawyer to be ready. <laughs> they do. so <laughs> That's that's very true. Um, very true. <laughs> this has been such, a, again, historic times. If you if all of you have been following us the last few weeks, these are truly historic times. And as an attorney of 18 years, I will say, I am sitting on the edge of my seat waiting for this October 23rd trial. And I don't know. May, may I add something? Though? Yes. Yeah. That, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about the fact that the trials in Georgia are televised. And but if they're like yesterday's, you and I and maybe 10,000 other lawyers and PhDs are going to be the only ones watching. If you didn't have a PhD or a JD, uh, it might be difficult to watch the news. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, and you know it's like the Johnny Depp trial, and I hate to say it that way because these are politicians and and election yep. people versus a celebrity from California. But to me, I, I missed the last time doing on you know live assessments and analysis of the testimony. But this time I'm going to be one of those however many PhDs and lawyers who are watching because we might have to shut my law firm down for a couple of weeks. Um, just yeah, so I can cover this. <laughs> don't worry, you are all being taken care of. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, my days are going to be filled with watching this trial and commenting on how it's going. Um, but... So I was a Watergate child, not child exactly, but, you know, that was right between my undergraduate and graduate school. And so I spent a whole summer watching Watergate hearings. Did you uh, really? And, it, and, you know, that and I don't know that it will have the effect here, but my recollection is there was a big bump in the next three or four years in people going to law school because they were you know, sort of rejuvenated or, you know, they got fascinated by all the legal issues. Then okay. it sort of died down a little bit after that. Interesting. Well, it definitely, all the legal issues are here and as many as you can think of and not know we're there are coming out. So let's get to it in just a second, but because it's the weekly wine, Join us for happy hour. Grab a glass of wine, whatever you like to drink, and settle in for happy hour to decompress after the week and hear what's happening in our take on it. I am drinking today a very 
interesting wine. It's from the Williamsburg Winery, one of my favorites, as many of you know. And this is um, wine with raspberry. I'm drinking it because my husband hates raspberry, so he won't mind if I use this bottle. Um, <laughs> but I love the Williamsburg Winery. This is one of their most famous. It's almost like a port. So cheers and a happy, happy hour to all of you. And we'll get underway. And who doesn't like raspberry? I, right? I thought you had a per, almost a flawless husband, and now I'm finding out. <laughs> it's a big problem. It, it yep. is a flaw. Um, I mean, I guess it's good that I get to do all the raspberry things, and I don't have to share this wine with him because it is very much like eating a raspberry. Um, so it's delightful. So just order lots of raspberry ice cream, and you'll be safe. <laughs> I will be. All raspberry everything, and it's only for me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, but it truly is. It's a very, very delicious. And I've actually seen some people, even though it's wine, pour it over vanilla ice cream and add some cherries, which is very delightful as well. Probably not the way they intended it to be used, but it's good. I suggest it. Okay, so Cheeseburger got what he wanted, didn't he? Yeah, half of what he wanted. <laughs> he got the early trial. Yes. Uh, I Tentatively, October 23rd. I think that's still a little dicey. Um, what he didn't get is he didn't get his case severed from Sidney Powell. Yeah. And it is interesting that, you know, both of them are sort of holding their noses that they don't want to be connected with the other. Yeah. Uh, but that's what happens in a RICO case. It, yeah, it's really interesting to me. So uh, last week we discussed, and you heard me say, I thought he made actually a pretty good legal move in requesting speedy trial, demanding that it be done soon. Um, I, I think there are a lot of good things still to be said for it. As we discussed, I think he doesn't have to deal with others already having been convicted and their mm. convictions being put in as, well, this was found as a conspiracy in a different court. This person was found to be one of the co-conspirators, and now we can use that evidence against you. So they both still have that option and that good part of their decision to demand the speedy trial. But like you said, they don't like each other and they don't want to be tried together. So- well no, let me add a qualification. I don't know. I don't know that they've ever met. Correct. Know that they have. So, it, it, when you say they don't like each other, I'm not sure. I don't think it's a necessarily a personal antagonism. I think it has to do with the, their roles are so different. Mm. I mean, according to the state, they, they've engaged in in a conspiracy, but the ro the roles that they played were so different that. You may or may not want to be they each. I mean, Powell may not want to be associated with him particularly either. So correct, and that seems to have been made clear by both sets of attorneys. Is they're both saying, please, do, you know, we both want a, a trial sooner rather than later, but okay. we we don't want to be with them because we think they will taint us. That the right. way a jury perceives that co-defendant will be so poor that that taint will come off on us. That's essentially what they're mm -hmm. saying about each other by saying, please don't put us in the same in the same trial. But this is where I think Willis played a little bit of her hand. Um, and I like it as a former prosecutor. 
And to me, it shows intention. To me, it shows planning. Whether you like the plan she has or not, the plan itself was pretty interesting because what her office told the judge, it's Judge McAfee, and in arguing that the case should be on October 23rd, the prosecutor's office showed up and said, we want all of them on the 23rd. So Cheeseburger said, I want to be the 23rd and I only want me. Sidney Powell did the same thing. I don't mind the 23rd, but I only want me. And Willis showed up and said, let's do the 23rd and I want all 19 of you. Oh, and by the way, there will be 150 witnesses and we think that it's going to take four months to try this case. And to me, that was throwing down the gauntlet where she's playing her hand finally to say, I am so prepared on these cases I already know the exact number of witnesses that I want to testify. And I already have projected that with all of my witnesses and potentially witnesses for the defense, it's going to take four months. And and part of the judge's decision, right, is if it's going to take four months or so for each trial. Yes. Why should you spend eight months doing what you can do in four months now? To, to be clear, also, Willis did not and cannot succeed, right, in forcing the others to be tried. But the reason two of them are getting October 23rd is they have demanded a speedy trial. Correct. She can ask for a speedy trial, but given the number of witnesses and given the, the amount of testimony that's going to be, you know, both sides are going to have to go through, it seems highly improbable that the others, you know, well, they do not want an early trial. Right. So it, it looks like we'll have at least two trials. Agreed. Now, I suppose, is this right? I suppose one of them could turn state's evidence or some of the other 17 could turn state's evidence and possibly, uh, you know, that might possibly well, it make it e- might make it easier to get a conviction. Yes. Uh, but it might also, in some ways, uh, shorten the trial a bit. I agree. And I think that's what Willis is planning on. You, I cannot imagine that all 19 defendants will go to trial. I absolutely agree that one of two things will happen to many of them. And I don't know how many. I'm waiting to see how many. But some of them may just do a, a guilty plea um, where their attorneys... And none have so far, though, no. right? All have pled non-guilty, right? Correct. As of this, this week in September, all of them have pled not guilty. The two... And, and by contrast, let's see if we can bring in something mm-hmm. else. The, the documents case in Florida, it appears as though at least one of Trump's employees who got indirect word, at least maybe to hide or conceal documents, it looks like one of them has turned. Agreed. Which which I apparently would mean, you know, presumably he would get immunity for his testimony uh, for that. Yes. So there will be some that, sort that, of that deal. Would, yeah, that would show sort of the potential. If it happened there, it could possibly happen in this case as well. Yes. So the, that's the second thing. In addition to some may just plead guilty, the second is exactly what you're saying is they'll turn state's evidence or agree to testify against one or a number of the defendants. 
So it is very likely that some of the other attorneys are approaching Willis in her office and saying, you know what, I want to see if there's any plea agreement. Is there anything that you can do where I can plead guilty to a lesser charge or only one of the charges? Let's make a deal. Or let's make such a good deal that maybe we get full immunity if we testify. And as a prior defense attorney, I think that's what I would do for specific defendants is say, look, we've got a couple options to plead, to go to trial, or to try to turn state's evidence and make sure you're, you have full immunity. Let me approach the, the prosecution to figure out what they have available and if they're even willing to offer it. And by law, the con- nothing in the Constitution requires plea agreements. Right. Nothing requires the prosecutor to make a deal. So they have the right to trial and Willis can say, I'm giving you your right to trial. You don't have a right to a plea. You have a right to a trial. So it's it's another possibility that she would say, I'm not handing out any pleas. If you want to go and plead guilty in front of the judge to all of them, then I can't prevent you from pleading guilty to all of the charges. But I don't have to give you a specific agreement. And that may be something she's playing or will play. I don't know. And the other complication, of course, and we probably don't want to get into it too much, but Meadows and Trump, at least, maybe some others, are trying to get the case removed, their cases removed from state to a federal jurisdiction. Correct. And that one of the things that could complicate that is even if you get a ruling, I I don't know I don't know the degree to which they can proceed ahead until you get through the appeals process. And that could take months, maybe even years. Um, Yes. The other thing you might address, which I found interesting, and my first reaction was I had a judge, not in this case, but in another, didn't know what they were doing. They they claim that there was a, there's another RICO case, I believe in Georgia, where they've had, they've been trying to choose a jury for something like eight months. Um, And I mean, that would, (laughs) <laughs> wouldn't take long you know if it took that long to choose a jury uh we are probably talk. you know trump might be getting his wishes here that it would be after the election uh, rather than before absolutely that would be a, a possible default not that anybody's trying to but they would have to seat a jury there has Good. to be a jury and in this case 12 because it's criminal There has to be a jury sat for each of these defendants. And I think that's why the judge is saying, for efficiency purposes, you're both charged under count one, which is RICO. And because there's a RICO charge for both of you, we're going to accommodate the court, break down the efficiency or put it into efficient management, put you together so that that way we only have to do one Jury selection process. And you're right. If the first round, they can't find enough jurors who are impartial or at least claim they can be impartial, then they will have to wait until the next round of jurors. And that's, you know, per term. They'll have to wait till the next term before they can try again with the next jury pool. And if that jury pool, how many of them have to be there? So, yes, it could be a default by default, a delay even past the October 23rd. So they start with jury selection. They can't get through it. It's delayed. But I do think it's a good decision by the judge, especially for judicial economy and efficiency. Like you're saying, if it takes, if they do 19 trials and each trial takes four months of testimony, 
and then it's how long for the sitting the jury under jury voir dire. Then I mean, we're the judge looking has at, life tenure, right? <laughs> right, decades. But, but who would want to look forward? I mean, to being in in, in a trial that long or that many successive trials on the same case? Nobody. Uh, and so, yeah. when the judge is able, when a judge is able to seat them together, as long as they're charged under the similar RICO part of it, that they're all in this larger conspiracy. It doesn't matter which role they played in the conspiracy, but if they're charged with the conspiracy, they can all be tried together. Because what what Willis is saying is under count one, which both Sidney Powell and Kenneth Cheeseborough are charged under for RICO, that this is a larger conspiracy. It's an enterprise. You are cogs in the wheel of this enterprise. Maybe you never met each other. Maybe you've never talked to each other, but it doesn't matter because each is responsible for all of the other actions by other co-conspirators. And, and to be clear, the overall enterprise mm-hmm. is basically su- the charge of subverting yes. a legal election. Correct. Uh, and, you know, we, we've had some close elections and some highly contested mm-hmm. elections in the United States. This one, you know, the closest maybe we came, and I don't remember this from personal memory, but in 1824. <laughs> I would hope know, not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, there was a four-way race, race for president. And John, uh, I'm sorry, Andrew Jackson got the highest number of votes, mm-hmm. highest number of popular votes. But no one of the candidates got a majority of the electoral votes, so it went to the House of Representatives. Mm. And John Quincy Adams, who had come in second in the electoral vote count, ended up winning the Electoral College, in part because he had the support of of, um, Henry Clay. And Jackson subsequently claimed there had been a corrupt bargain. Clay was later became Secretary of State. And really, I mean... He did not contest, he accepted that John Quincy Adams was president, mm. but he made a four-year, it wasn't a weekly wine, it was a quadrennial wine, <laughs> W-H-I-N-E, <laughs> that he had been cheated of the presidency. Mm. But, you know, we, we're, we're in uncharted waters here. I mean, yes. I, I think the question, and both sides need to ask this, you know, as and particularly in the electoral comp- the electoral college complicates things a little bit. Uh, but in 2000, I mean, there was a choice there. Al Gore, to his credit, hmm. said, I know I won the popular vote. I don't think the Supreme Court ruled correctly when they awarded all the Florida votes to Bush, but that's the rule of law and I have to accept it. Yeah. So the question is, are we to the point where politically, we have we are so distrustful of the other party that we say, under no circumstance can I have Biden for another four years, right? Or under no circumstance uh, could we real, even if he were to win both the electoral vote and the and the popular vote. And so this, you know, this is serious business. Um, you know, and some people say, well, we, you know, we have a republic versus a democracy, and that makes it right. Well, that, that doesn't do us any good at all. Republic, a republic simply means we have elected representatives. Mm. And, you know, we're either going to accept the results of the system when they go in our favor or when they don't, 
or we're no longer proponents of democracy or republicanism. Right. Small D, small R. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's a good distinction. And in speaking of people talking, and <laughs> there's Mike Huckabee came out this week mm-hmm. with a, an alarming statement to many that if these charges go forward and Biden is reelected, that the next presidential election will be solved by bullets rather than ballots. And, and there's just, and I, I actually did not see that. I thought I thought you were going to go to a, a different statement, the the Pence statement about populism this this week. But you know, if 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 that's what we're going to do, the enterprise is over, or it's close to you know where we were in the Civil War. And you know, I think we saw how that worked out. I don't think anybody wants to repeat that. Um, I, I think yeah. I still think we have more in common than we have that divides us. But you don't get votes by stressing what you have in common with an opponent. So. Right. No, and that and that's true. And that's you know that goes back to this RICO violation that that Willis is claiming against these two defendants that are going to be tried together. Is she's saying the overall scheme, like you said, is to subvert the election process, to overturn it, to misuse it for in favor of Donald Trump to try to get him reelected in non-legal ways. So under this conspiracy, RICO is a conspiracy of itself, and they've both been charged with conspiracy. So let's let's put the actors in their place. Kenneth Cheesebro is part of, according to the indictment, this very, very long indictment, he is part of claims 1, 9, 11, 13, 15, 17, and 19. The first one is RICO, which in itself is a conspiracy. And then all of these others are conspiracies. Conspiracy to commit impersonating a public officer. Conspiracy to commit forgery in the first degree. Conspiracy to commit false statements in writing. So all of these different things are These all have to do with the electors, basically. You know, we're we're going to certify different electors than the ones that were actually chosen in the states. Exactly. And so that's his role in it. And that's clearly laid out in the indictments at the beginning where it's alleged that he was sending documents and attachments to different states, Michigan, Arizona, Georgia, um, and the like to say, here are the false ballots you should use. Here's the documents you need to print off and have people sign for being these false electors. And, and by the way, and I don't know if this will be meaningful to our listeners or not, but I went back this week and read the speech that Donald Trump gave. I believe it was actually the night of the election. It's possible the mm-hmm. night after. But basically, these were the states that he said that night, we were ahead uh, till they tried to steal it from us. Uh, yeah. and, and I don't know, you know, what happened on election night is a little unique. And, so? But it's fairly easily explainable. So I think what happened is in most of the early voting, Trump was ahead because the votes that are first counted on election night, strangely, are the ones that come in on election day. And, and many states then have a rule that you can't begin counting the absentee ballots and the early ballots until afterward. Well, Democrats had been telling their folks for months, 
voter. <laughs> I was going to say vote early and often. They didn't say that, but they said, you know, go, go ahead early. and vote early. Yeah, yeah, vote, vote early because, you know, there are likely to be long lines. You know, we could have a resurgence of COVID. You might not be able to get there. Right. And they did. And Trump basically said, no, we want our people to wait till election night. So what happened in the early and and the the if you watch the, the voting returns that night, all the commentators were saying this. Expect in the early, you know, in the early hours, the Trump forces are going to lead. And then what happened is and this is where Trump actually wanted to cut off all counting after like midnight. Well, they were the early votes. They were the people who had had sent in the mail in ballots. And so it really wasn't anything nefarious. Uh, if anything, it was poor strategy on Trump's part. Uh, he should have been telling his people to vote early and often or, or at least early. Early. <laughs> get, get, get your votes in there. But, you know, he took that. What he basically tried to do was then to make that into an argument if I was leading in the but, you know, how would that work on the athletic field? It's like saying, mm -hmm. well, you know, the 500-meter race, I was leading the first 100 meters or the first 250 meters, so I ought to win the race. Right. You know, how would that work in the Kentucky Derby? Maybe the horse that gets out first, you know, maybe they win, but maybe they are overtaken in the last couple laps. Exactly. And that's basically what happened here. And so... You know, they were and, and this is where I think, you know, you can't you have freedom of speech and you have greater freedom of speech when you're not under oath. But when you're essentially making a claim early on that is then followed up by concrete action, you know, we sh we were ahead in Georgia in the beginning and we should have won. So we must have won. And therefore, we're going to take as many, you know, we're going to get what is it, 11,980 or whatever right. it is, the votes that we need, right. then he becomes part of this conspiracy, you know, again, if it is if it is proven. Exactly. And and that's that's part of it is if you join the conspiracy, and in this case, the alleged conspiracy is the attempted unlawful overturning of the legitimate votes of the Electoral College to overturn the election illegally and unfairly, and to put President Trump as the reelected party. That's the allegation that all of this was done. Right. So right. it's like with RICO, we always think of the mob or gang. Those are usually the players who are charged with RICO violations, um, larger corporations who are stealing lots of money. Um, but by joining the enterprise, the illegal, corrupt participants, the main core, so to speak. And in a way, in a RICO, this, I'm not saying he's this, but in a RICO case, if it were against the mob, essentially Donald Trump would be the godfather, right? right. Who's, the boss, yeah, yeah the, the mob boss, the godfather, the person who's running yep. the series of enterprises, illegal enterprises. So the mob bosses were thinking, what, drugs, guns, prostitution, alcohol, running all of these things. And in this case, it's an election fraud, allegedly. So he is the main character who's gathering all of these players, the enforcers, the other people who, you know, go out to collect the money, who go, they're, they're his minions, so to and, speak. And you sort of done Cheeseboro, but then to go to Sydney yes. Powell, her role, as I understand it, mm -hmm. What was sort of a subsidiary one to yes. 
one of the ways you cast out on the election is say, well, there was something wrong with the voting machine. Exactly. She was the one who was primarily was a Dominion voting, basically saying, well, you know, when you hit a button for uh, for Biden for, for Trump, it, it went instead to Biden, to Biden or, or 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 whatever the allegations were. So right. So it was, you know, he was primarily, as I understand it, or the charge is that he was primarily with working on getting new electors and, you know, this sort of thing. Yes. She was alleging, well, the, 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 the votes themselves were being miscounted. Exactly. They, they both go to casting doubt on the legitimacy of the election. Yes. Uh, so that they're linked in that regard. But in other, you know, otherwise, it's a very different sort of strategy. Absolutely. It's it's two different strategies, right? right. The, the overall is let's overturn the election results. And the first strategy is, well, let's get the voters do this elector voting scheme. And then if that doesn't work, we're going to try this secondary one. So I'm going to collect people to me to cast doubt on the votes themselves, to check into the voting machine. So it is extremely possible these two people never met. And POW is still charged with RICO, so still that same offense, but right. she's got different ones. She's got conspiracy to commit election fraud, conspiracy to commit computer theft and trespass and invasion of privacy, and to defraud the state. Based on her part, like you're saying, of the election results with the voting machines. Right. And she's in a weak position. In, you know, you're looking as why might want to change because, right, Fox News has already lost, am I right, to this, you know, for making similar claims mm -hmm. against Dominion voting. So to the extent she's making, you know, that the factual basis, in a sense, has already been determined there. Right. Or at least, you know, not, not her participation, but. Um, Absolutely. So it's like if you're part of a mob or a gang, you know, you send one of your underlings to do robberies. You send another of your underlings to collect bribes, but it's still a part of the same organization and enterprise. And based on the law, if it's a conspiracy over an overall arching plan and enterprise to do something bad and illegal, then they can be tried together. They are co-conspirators. And even if one person never knows what the other person is doing, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. It doesn't matter. They're still part of the same plan. And what and I do wonder, now for the most part, ignorance is not an excuse. Correct. But is it it might be possible. I, I don't know all 19 of these defendants. Right. It it appears as though there possibly a couple of the electors may have thought, you know, that that their names would only this would only happen if something else happened. Exactly. And so you, you would have a possibility, right? I mean, you could have 19 on trial and 17 of them might be convicted. Yes, correct. Uh, and two of them not. And, you know, right. one of the, I, I think one of the things. Pardon? Each is yeah. their own. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the things, you know, people are often talking about uneven justice and mm -hmm. I, one of the things that bothers me most right now is this charge that the Justice Department has been weaponized. I don't believe it. Ha I mean, if it was ever weaponized, as far as I can tell, it was during the Trump administration. Hmm. Um, but I was headed to a point here. <laughs> right. 
one of the things that's that's a little disturbing right now, you know, this last week we've had people sentenced to over 20 years right. for their participation in the Capitol riot. Correct. Yeah, the, yet, if, what we had 18 Rico, years, 22. Yeah, yeah. If, if the RICO charges are at all true, there were masterminds behind. I mean, they are the... They're the foot soldiers, and of course, I guess that's what happens in war, right? The foot soldiers are the first ones to get shot, and the generals, you know, smoking. Right. <laughs> that's not fair to generals, because I know a lot of them are also on the front line. But, you know, the, the, the notion, people who keep saying, well, nothing happened, well, why have we had conviction after conviction after conviction of people who invaded the Capitol that day with the right. intention of stopping the voting. Exactly. Uh, and it, it it will not be fair justice if they were, in fact, directed, if this was a part of a larger scheme, it's not fair that they should be sitting in jail and the, con the major conspirators uh, not be in jail. And that brings us back to the other novel argument that we've been discussing in the last couple of yes. weeks about the 14th Amendment is does that Section 3 disqualify Trump from being president at all? And in this, what's happened is those convictions of the foot soldiers, so to speak, on January 6th, can those be used as part of the evidence to say Donald Trump has violated the 14th Amendment because he's given aid and comfort to right. those defendants in the form of raising money for them and their defenses, in the form of making public statements in their support, um, talking kindly about them, saying how much he likes them, they're good people, um, thank them for what they were doing for him that day. So this goes directly, those cases go directly toward this 14th Amendment argument, but they can also go into this RICO argument that right. there's part three. So part one is the elect false electors, part two is the, the election voting machines, and part three is we're going to storm the Capitol and try to get the vote overturned by these protests. So all and of I think these what things... Well, if what I think I'm seeing with this 14th Amendment argument is there is increased there's increased argument about the political implications as opposed to the legal you're right that, how so and, and and well it part of it comes down to the perception mm. if the perception is that you've dug up an amendment that's 150 years old in a section that hasn't been used in that time simply to exclude somebody from the presidency, even if he deserves it, if the perception is you're willing to use any means, then that could ultimately undermine the faith in the elections that have already been undermined by questioning the elect the last election. Sure. So it's real you remember we talked last week about, I believe it was last week, that you know, ultimately, this is probably going to have to be resolved by the Supreme Court because you're yes. going to have some states where it's possible that they're going to say he can't run and others that say that he can. Mm -hmm. And people are going to say, well, that's not, you know, what would what would happen 
if Biden were reelected, but he was only re- but if you added in the states where Trump wasn't on the ballot, mm-hmm. uh, it might have been different. Would that be perceived as legitimate? Right. Is that and a form I, of separating the union? Right. And so, you know, we discussed that if it goes to the Supreme Court, and I think this, I, the more I think about it, I think the more likely it is. Yeah. I think the Supreme Court might say this is a political question. Rather than uh, the legal. Really, yeah, we, it's rather than a legal, the people, the peop, the way the people decide whether the president participated in you know, or gave, gave aid and, and comfort is when they vote in the election rather than a decision that we make in court. Is uh, it possible that they would put the decision to Congress? Well, it, but it, yes. It, well, in other words, it's usually what a political question is. It goes to the the two elected, political meaning the two elected branches, and the one that would have, you know, the one that would probably be the closest here would, would, would be the Congress. Uh, but, you know, frankly, and I'm not dissing either side here, but we have a fairly dysfunctional Congress right now. And even if you don't think of it as dysfunctional, it's as partisan as, as it is as it has been since the Civil War. So hmm. you remember how the you know the impeachments worked out. Do we are we convinced that Trump that everybody who voted for Trump's impeachment thought he was guilty and those who voted against it or against conviction thought he wasn't, or did they make political calculations? Right. It's that, hard to again, separate. Right. And, you know, we had, there's a situation going on right now in, 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 in Texas, yes. and I'm not an expert on, you know, their um, attorney general is being impeached. Well, he's being, he's on trial now. If he's been impeached, he's now on trial. Mm-hmm. And it looking from the outside and not knowing much about it, you know, that there's the charges in the national constitution, they're treason, bribery, high crimes and misdemeanors. And the last are really hard to define, Mm -hmm. but there's actually an allegation here, I think of of bribery and actual corruption. And he either, you know, he either did or he didn't, (laughs) you know, that's, that's an impeachable offense. Um, But it's, what I was going to say is you have some people saying, well, it's really, it's phrased in terms of did he take a bribe or did he use corrupt influence? But what it's really about is it's a conflict between your traditional Bush Republicans in the state and your Trump Republicans. Interesting. Uh, and it's not it, the way it turns that, you know, he may be guilty of sin, and and be impeached and or removed and people say well it was all political or vice versa you, you know so, yeah and I think that's where we definitely are is it is seen anything that's happening right now whether it's Trump or Biden is seen as political Hunter Biden's issues right. Joe well, Biden and, it's all seemed it appears political in nature the right. the charges against Trump many people think these are weaponized is you know right. why would we go after him at all. Um, the fact that he's been charged with so many crimes across so many states that appears on its face to be weaponizing against one person. But then there's the follow-up argument on the other side of, well, if he's guilty of all those crimes, he needs to be charged for well, all of those not, crimes. The other thing, what makes the Georgia case particularly interesting is it's you can't blame that on the Justice Department. Right. That's a state case. Correct. Uh, 
you know, completely. And, and the same thing with this, you know, defamation case in New York. I don't know if that's state or federal, but it's not it's not being pursued as I is not being pursued by the Justice Department. Correct. It's a private litigant who says, you know, I've been defamed uh, and she's already won once. And Correct. You, you know, this this last week, this has been very interesting. The judge says she's been defamed again. We're not even going to go to trial on that. That's clear. The summary judgment. The only, right. The only the only thing for the jury to decide is how, how much more damage did he do? Right. So. You know, it, it's hard to, it's not the, the saying that where there's smoke, there's always fire, I think is not always true. Uh, at least not a fire in the sense of something illegal or immoral. Right. But when you have four or five fires going on at the same time, it increases the suspicion that maybe there really is something, you know, something confl- <laughs> conflating there. Right. It's it's hard to, to figure because <laughs> the, <laughs> as as a prosecutor, as a former prosecutor, the, the interesting thing about me is in the news, they're like, oh, the former prosecutor. Well, I've done both sides. Um, mm-hmm. Many different years, I've done both sides. And as yeah. as both, what? Well, you know, the, the, the classic couple is a, is a doctor and the lawyer where, you know, they can sue, one can sue the other. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, it's hard because even in a jury pool, a regular jury pool, forget about personalities and famous people in a regular jury pool. It's hard to get a jury who will, I've had many members say, well, if he's charged with it, then he did it. Um, there's this assumption on either side of the aisle, even from the attorneys themselves, where if they could get probable cause to pass a grand jury or to go through a magistrate or an officer that there's at least good enough proof to get you there. And many jurors will say, if he's been charged, I think he did it. So they'll have to be removed. Anybody with that preconceived notion, you see it on both sides. Um, Then there are some who will say in the jury, if they can get a a word in edgewise, they'll be like, well, there's the constitution. If they're not, you know, guilty until, you know, proven so. And then you're like, I want that juror. And you hope that that juror doesn't get dismissed. Uh, so there's can you a lot imagine, going on. Though, can, can you imagine being called for a jury that we talked about the judge? He gets paid. I guess jurors right. get fifteen dollars a day or something. Nothing. But imagine, imagine being asked, you know, told that you're going to be in a trial, and I, you know, I was talking Four to months. the wife the other day. What would I do? Because am I right? If you were in a trial. You can't, you're not supposed to watch the news if it's on the news. Correct. You're not supposed to discuss it. Correct. I, I would, what would happen to me if I, if I had you, to go four months without watching the news? You might die and that would be a legitimate cause for you to tell the judge, I truly cannot be a jury member in this case. <laughs> it would be I a rather novel <laughs> argument, but in my case, it might actually be true. Yes. <laughs> right. This will physically impact me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, that would be hard. And honestly, I could see in this case, any jury, whether it's for the first two defendants or other coupled defendants or all of the other defendants in one trial, I can see a judge saying, you know what, we need to sequester the jury so yes. that we can make sure we take away their phones, we take away their computers, we know where they are, they cannot contact other people who have opinions. Because when it comes to Donald Trump, 
it is diverse opinions and the but judge would not even, want them right. influenced. But an even then greater burden. Yes. Of, you know, how many, and you know, it was interesting. I was watching a, a lawyer. Well, one of the lawyers yesterday who, who said in court, he said, until a month or two ago, I hadn't, I don't ever remember reading the 12th amendment. I didn't even know what it was. The 14th. No, the 12th. Oh, the 12th. The, the, the electoral college. Oh, okay. Um, and it's like, you know, you're going to, if you have jurors listening for four months, I mean, they might apply for a graduate degree. Maybe that's what they can do is, you know, offer a graduate degree when you get through. <laughs> right. Uh, offer something. But yeah, that would be really hard. It's yeah. going to be really hard to find people who could actually do four months. Right. And the judge is going to really push people of, well, I know you have a job, but are you really going to lose your job? And man, that's going to be hard, which is another reason why the judge or any judge is going to want to consolidate as many of these cases as possible so that they don't have to go through the jury selection so many times. It's almost going to be like the draft. Your number's called and you got to show up and how many yep. more people, you know, Mr. Clerk, check the list again, send out more envelopes and more invitations to join us for right. the jury pool. It's going to it's going to be tough. Um, I mean, on the other hand, you would be part. I mean, you really would be part of a major event in American history. Absolutely. Uh, it would have something to get, you know, maybe, maybe they can all get book deals afterward. Yeah. And uh, it, it, this but, will result in jurors trying actual people trying to get on the jury to fake their well, way maybe. through to to be those. This is a fear of a lot of people on both sides of juries is is there going to be something, someone, like a gun case, these high-profile cases who has right. such a strong opinion politically, one way or the other, they will say all the right things. They right. will pretend to be all the right things so that they can get on the jury and then influence the other jurors based on their own political convictions and beliefs. And, you know, you can't and, and prevent I, that. Right. And I don't know that you want to go on this today, the agenda for, for our discussion, but you know, this lawyer who was recently convicted in South Carolina of killing. Oh, Murdoch. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Wife and son. Exactly. And, you know, the newest the newest accusation, and that's all it is as far as I know right now. But his attorneys are claiming that the clerk unduly influenced the jury to come to this conclusion. And the clerk's motive is supposed to be uh, a book deal that they wanted to get it done and they wanted to make sure he was convicted so then they could could magnify their part. And I'd, I have no idea whether those charges are true or not. But, you know, imagine imagine having a four, well, I don't know how long that was, but I believe it was a, at least a two or three week trial. Yeah. Imagine having to do all of that over because if, if in clerk's fact, it bias. turns out to be the case that there was a bias there, on, you know, the clerk was trying to, persuade people uh what a waste yeah uh, of resources absolutely and and in this case similarly there there are going to be people with biases they're going yes. to be people with influences interests and i i would say it on both sides it's going to require getting mm -hmm. a hand on that jury list as soon as possible and doing some research of those jurors are they registered republicans or democrats um do they have anything on their social media postings 
about these candidates? Are they one way or the other already? Do they know their friends or colleagues? They've been on the weekly wine. Have they been on the weekly wine? (laughs) Nobody wants me. (laughs) But but it's interesting in a way, you know, I try to be, again, as neutral as possible. A lot of people on our messages, it's kind of funny on the comments, they assume that we're one way or the other. Um, I don't know that anybody could fully tell. I think they could say, oh, well, it seem, appears to be this. But I try to be yeah. neutral. Um, yeah. But even then, with our comments, they could be construed in many different ways. And some would be accurate towards both of us and our opinions, and some wouldn't be. But if I saw one of those jurors on the Legal Weekly Wine, I would not want that juror on. I would not want someone who's who's in a political conversation or a legal conversation about this topic on social media to be on this jury. I wouldn't want it. And it's it's important that they investigate the jury. I think we're safe. I think I don't think we're going to be called. (laughs) I I don't think so. I I go back to a couple weeks ago. Not only do I think I shouldn't be a juror. Uh, nobody wants me as their attorney. I am not anyone's attorney in this case. I am <laughs> waiting to do commentary once the trials start. Sitting on the edge of my seat, I'll return from the beginning. Um, but no one wants me as their attorney. I will. Be, we will be happy though. During oh, stay tuned, like and subscribe to our channel if you're on YouTube um, or on any of your audio sites. We are listed throughout the audio podcast publications, including Audible. Um, Amazon, Apple, Spotify, Podbean. We're on all of those sites if you want to listen to us. And if you want to watch us, we're on YouTube under the Legal Weekly Wine, hosted by The Law Unscripted. Stay tuned with us. And the more you like, comment, subscribe, the more you can see when we come out, see our podcast again. You can also get the word out to other people who can also engage with us here. So do all of those things, follow us, and stay tuned for next week as to where we see what are the other defendants going to be doing. And honestly, my question, uh, my teaser question for next week is by the time that we do this podcast next week, will there be an official motion by Jack Smith to do something about Trump's continuing comments in the news? Will the court be reviewing his comments since the time that they told him, be careful what you say? Will they be reviewing it? Will that be the next legal hottest topic for the week? So teaser as to what I think might be happening in the next week. And thank you all for joining us. Don't forget to to think about this. Go home, talk to other people of, did Cheeseboro make the right decision or the wrong one? He is now coupled and saddled with Sidney Powell. And however crazy they both think each other are, they're stuck with each other. And it's going to be a very interesting show. Thanks for joining us again and happy, happy hour for the rest of your week.